Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Good morning, church. Great to see you all, and uh, good morning to those who are worshiping with us online as well. I'm glad to have you all with us today. Um, We are going to talk about the church being in battle, and the reason for that is not everything is as it appears. There's more happening in our world than we can see or even understand. When Jesus was at the beginning of his ministry, after he was baptized, he went into the wilderness, fasted 40 days and nights, and then the devil sought him out for temptation. So the first temptation, you know, he's been fasting for 40 days. So the devil says, hey, turn these stones into bread, you know, I'm sure you're hungry. And Jesus responded with scripture and resisted temptation. The, the next one, uh, the devil took him up to the, the peak of the temple and said, throw yourself off, you know, surely you'll be saved since you're, you know, son of God. And again, he responded with scripture and resisted temptation. The third temptation is really the one that I would like for us to just hone in on for just a second. It's in Matthew 4, 8, and 9, or it's 1, 1, um, it's in a couple of the Gospels. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Did you catch that? The devil is offering Jesus, the Son of God, all the kingdoms of the world. This implies that the devil believes that he is in charge of all of the kingdoms of the world. And the devil's desire is to get Jesus to divert his worship to the devil, his obedience away from God to the devil. In other words, there is another power that is opposed to God, and he is powerful, and he does not respect God's sovereign reign. Now, we know the devil is committing cosmic treason by doing this. 
and he's working really hard at getting us to join with him. The thing is, though, we can glide through our days and our weeks and our months and our years without being aware of any of that. We can go get our, you know, grande, extra foam, skinny latte, half-calf, whatever you want to say, with, you know, seven shots of some kind of sugar pumping through your veins and miss that the world is at war. Um, it, it may be helpful to think of it this way. I don't know if you've ever read or watched The Lord of the Rings. I'm going to show my nerd card, I guess. Um, I love the, the story of The Lord of the Rings. It's grand narrative. Um, both in book form and movie form. Uh, so I'll try to summarize kind of the main plot line. So there is a, an evil power, a dark lord by the name of Sauron. And he seeks to subdue all of Middle Earth. He seeks to bring it under his power. And the way he can do that, there's this ring, one ring to rule them all. Uh, there's a ring that if he can gain control of it, he then has the ultimate power. And the way the very beginning of the movie, this is not a, a spoiler, and the movie's been out a while and the books have been out even longer. So um, if you've missed it, okay. Um, so the, the movie begins with this telling you this big, huge plot line of what's going on. And then it shifts into this happy little village of a small people called hobbits. And you wouldn't know any of that other stuff is going on. There's birds chirping, there's flowers growing. There, you know, the hobbits are bickering about petty things. You would miss that there is this battle raging for the whole world and all the people in it if you are just consumed with that day-to-day -day kind of life. This passage in Ephesians really draws our attention to the great battle that's going on. And then it takes us through how then do we respond as Christians. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Ephesians chapter 6, and we will be looking specifically at verses 10 through 20 today. Um, as um, Dan mentioned, we have been going through Ephesians. This is our final week in Ephesians, so our sixth and final week. And we've been looking more specifically at the nature of the church and how we as the church um, ought to be. So uh, I'll read this passage, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord 
and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. So here we see the devil is scheming. And that our battle is not merely flesh and blood, but there is something bigger going on. And we need to be aware of this, and we need to prepare for this. We need to be ready for battle. In fact, you're on battleground. You're in territory, uh, battle territory. We're going to look at this in three points. Be strong stand and put on, and then the immeasurable greatness of his power. He begins this passage by calling us to be strong. How much will it take to buy your conscience? I once heard someone say that they would do almost anything for a million dollars. And I don't know if we would admit it out loud, but I think many of us, if not all of us, would be tempted. The first command here is to be strong. If the devil can offer the kingdoms of the world to Jesus, he can also offer to buy our worship. I once heard a Christian businessman proudly talk about one of his businesses selling water. There happened to be a drought in the area in which he was selling water, and he was thankful to God for the profits that he was able to make because he could sell water during that time. But at what cost? right? It seems that he had bought into 
a worldly view of things, that his understanding of success was more based on, is he a shrewd businessman than is he the person God has called him to be? The scriptures call us to change our, our scorecard, how we understand what success is. The way he talked about God's blessing, is that how God's blessing works? That some go without while he amasses personal wealth? So I would submit to you that we have domesticated our faith in such a way to make it work for us rather than we are in submission to God and God's plan. But that's not the scene that God, uh, that Paul has given us here. There's something happening in the whole cosmos and the battle rages. There's something more at stake than our personal momentary happiness or a few extra dollars in our bank account. Verse 12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The way Paul speaks of being strong in this passage, it's not a matter of our own strength. We would surely fail. We are to be strong in the Lord. We are to put on the Lord's armor. We are dealing with forces that are way beyond our abilities. And this requires that we stand firm. Since we've been talking about the church over these last six weeks, we are to stand firm together. There are two major temptations for the church in this. The first temptation, and maybe the most common one, is to ignore the battle going on. We convince ourselves that if I just stay in my lane, work hard, be a loving father, mother, daughter, son, that we just keep our heads down, that we're, we're just, we're, it's gonna be okay. We're just gonna do this and then it will, the world will somehow get better. When the rest of the world can only see the seen world, we need to encourage each other to keep the big picture in mind. The second temptation is in some ways the opposite of this. It's a very heightened awareness that the world is in battle, but then our response is to retreat. It's a bunker mentality. We don't believe we can do anything about it. And so we retreat into our church bunker and wait for the bombing to stop. But that's not what we're called to do in this passage. We're called to be strong, to stand firm, to put on God's armor. That's a battle stance. 
So to stand. Verses 13 and 14 both say that we are to stand against these unseen powers. And then Paul takes us through these different pieces of armor, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes that are the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I mean, there's so much to consider with each of these that we can only lightly touch on them. But each of these elements can help us live differently in this world. So the belt of truth, it urges us to take a stand with convictions that there is truth. And it's not based on perception or feeling. I've never seen a time in my life where truth was less important than opinion, like it is today. Even journalists will say something like, well, we each have our own truth. I just, I don't know. It seems like truth has a different meaning to that journalist than it does to me. And that's not the kind of truth that the Bible speaks of. Truth is fact that we can bank on. Do you rest yourself in truth? But it's not just about believing the right things. It's about living it, the breastplate of righteousness. The true test of whether some believer, some whether, sorry, the true test of whether someone believes something is whether they actually live it out, whether they put it into practice. We talked last week about the church being the bride of Christ. And to be the bride of Christ, there is a, a command for us to be holy. Again, we must define righteousness not in the world's terms, but as God does. We can't just live any way that we feel is right. Along with truth, there is a divine standard for the way we live. Do you walk in righteousness? Our shoes are the gospel of peace. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The world under the power of the devil is bleak and it is dark. The good news breaks into the darkness with light. So people all around us are facing problems. Work problems, home problems. And all of these attack their peace. Friends, we have a message to offer, a gospel of peace. In Ephesians 2, it says that Christ himself is our peace. So do we bring the gospel of peace? The shield of faith is no mere optimism that good things will happen. 
Rather, it is faith that Christ has conquered the enemy. It is faith that is built on truth. Amazingly, it seems that so many are willing to put their faith in anything that we believe might deliver quick results. Wealth, fame, power, pleasure. This is not the kind of faith that can resist flaming darts from the evil one. So where is our faith? What is our faith placed in? Or who is our faith placed in? The helmet of salvation is a vital reminder that our safety is totally based on God's work to save us. Every other belief system that I know of requires people to act a certain way in order to earn God's blessings for the afterlife. But that's not how the God of the Bible approaches it. It is God who saves us. And that is really, really, really good. Because we can't save ourselves. And so do we believe in God's salvation? And finally, there is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Scripture is God-breathed. It has the power to change us. There's nothing else like it in all of the world. A book that has God's revealed message for us. When Jesus responded to the three temptations by the devil, how did he respond? Every how did he respond? How did he respond? Every time he responded with the word of God. It is written, he said. It is written. Do we know God's word well enough for it to be used in our lives? So these six items of armor, they're, they're a whole package. In other words, if you put on the armor but not the helmet, you're still vulnerable. It will not protect you from the enemy. We are only as strong as our weakest point. But the problem is it can feel overwhelming. Faith that can stop flaming arrows? Are you kidding me? Truth that consistently counteracts the false claims? How can our righteousness ever be what it needs to be? We don't study this passage so that we can make sure we have a checklist just to complete or to heap loads of guilt on us. In, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 72, this wider group of, of men following him. And their, their mission is to proclaim the good news from village to village. And the, the thing that he says is he's sending them out like sheep, among wolves. I had heard that for a long time, and it never really hit me that, like, sheep among wolves. What shot does sheep have among wolves? 
They're, they're defenseless characters, uh, creatures. Sheep among wolf. I mean, that's as good as dinner for the wolf, right? But Jesus does not send them out alone. Uh, Jesus is the, the good shepherd. He promises presence with his sheep. And so the point here is this. The sheep on their own don't stand a chance. The sheep with the good shepherd, with Jesus, that is their only chance. In order to, to walk through this passage here, our only chance is to place ourselves in Christ, for Christ to champion these things in our life. When we engage by walking in Christ, that's when Christ can work. So the immeasurable greatness of his power. So we can talk about Jesus kind of like a, a fan, you know, like you're a, a fan of an actor or an athlete or a team. But we've got, to, we've got to move beyond just like admiration of Christ. We're not just picking a Messiah to cheer for. We've been invited into something more significant, more incredible, more transformative than that. So six weeks ago, when we started in this series in Ephesians, we were in chapter one. Let's look back at two verses briefly in chapter one that might help us understand this passage in chapter six. Verses 18 and 19, Ephesians 1 says this, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Have you personally experienced the immeasurable greatness of his power? We're not, we're not just talking about standard religious activity here. The world does not need more people trying to act holy. That will get us nowhere. The world needs a growing force of people who have such a radical encounter with Jesus that it's, it's like they are a new person, a person forgiven of their sin and empowered by the Spirit of God. This is not just be nice to each other Christianity that I'm talking about. No, no. We are now in Christ, and Christ is in us, and he changes us and charges us to do something that is more important than just gliding through life and trying not to rock the boat. In Acts, Christians were accused of being those who turned the world upside down. It's the truest way to understand what God has done in the world. The warrior imagery in Ephesians 6 actually draws us back to Isaiah 
59. The armor described in Ephesians 6 is modeled after the armor of the warrior God. The first part of Isaiah 59, um, it's, it, it describes a world in darkness. In verse 11, it says, we hope for justice, but there is none for salvation, but it is far from us. There is nothing but despair in the air. And then we come to verses 15 to 20. Brother Chung read for us earlier, beginning with the truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. But then it says, the Lord saw it, and it displeased him, but there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation. What we see in this passage is that God took on. There was this problem in the world, darkness, justice was nowhere to be found. And God saw this. And he interceded. He uh, covered the breach. God then took on this armor, and he went into battle for us. It was the arm of God who delivered us through Jesus. This week begins Holy Week. And we're, today is Palm Sunday. We remember Jesus' entry to Jerusalem for his final week on earth. He would endure a corrupt justice system and be executed for the penalty of sin that's really due to us all. But Jesus vanquished death and exposed the empty plans of the devil. When we place ourselves in Jesus, we're not just choosing to be spiritual. Rather, we're joining a movement that reverses the curse of sin, that pushes back darkness. So coming back to Ephesians 6, what do we do with these commands? Folded into the command to stand fast. Each of these aspects of armor Three, three ways in which we might put this into practice. One, immerse ourselves in the story of the gospel. They say you are what you eat. We've seen how one can be shaped by the news they read. And it's, uh, it's been just amazing and shocking to see how two people can live, maybe even side by side or in the same home, but because they read different news, they have a completely different outlook on things. Isaiah 59 lamented the truth was lacking in the world. 
we can address this by exposing ourselves to as much truth as we can. Read the Bible. Memorize Bible passages. Meditate on the truths found on these pages. While I'm preaching this message, we should be fully aware that the devil is also preaching his message. And he's a clever preacher, cleverer than I am. If we aren't immersed in the gospel story, we can get tossed to and fro, like it described in Ephesians 4. In a world of rival narratives, we need something that can cut through the deceptive and false narratives for the one true narrative that offers hope. Two, prepare for a battle in the spiritual realm. Keep alert, it says in verse 18. An awareness of the spiritual realm and all that is at stake can change the way we see the world and how we respond. Now, I want to have a, just a quick little caveat here, because I think we can go too far with that. Um, C.S. Lewis, if you've ever read his little book called Screwtape Letters, it's, it's kind of a, a weird, it's going to sound like a weird plot line. It's like an uncle, um, evil spirit writing to his nephew with some advice as like from a from the devil's point of view, basically. And, and one of his devices was to get people to focus so much on him that they're not focused on the true truths of Christianity, the true God on Christ himself. And we can do the same. We can get so kind of wound up in kind of spiritual warfare type things that we lose our clear focus on who God is. <clears throat> the, the way when we talk about the armor here, it's all how we then relate to God. It's not a matter of um, really drawing on other tactics that come from other, other religious backgrounds to deal with spiritual warfare. A friend of mine asked if <clears throat> the Ukraine was um, if Ukraine war spread to become a global war, if we were ready, if we had a wartime mentality, the powers of this present darkness, they've not given up. Do we have a wartime mentality? in our prayer life, in how we live, in our spiritual life, is it such that we can deflect the flaming arrows sent from the evil one? So prepare for battle in the spiritual realm. And by that, that means putting into practice these things, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness. 
Number three, and this is related, develop rhythms and practices that push back darkness. Paul refers to this present darkness, and that is the status quo. So think back over this last week. Have you done anything to address this darkness in the world around you? Or have you kept your faith private and tame? How are you going to counteract the sway of the world? What is something that you can do that you haven't done before? Perhaps it is having an extended time of prayer longer than you've ever prayed before. Perhaps it's telling the story of the good news that frees people from the darkness and moves them into the marvelous light. This week, you could even use Easter as an easy pathway to talk about that. Maybe there's an area of your life where you lack faith or does not exhibit righteous living. Friends, it is time to lean into the immeasurable greatness of his power. May it be said of us that we are more like Jesus this week than last week. Not because of our efforts, but because we have been with Jesus. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we uh, admit uh, that we can so easily just, just ride along with the world. Um, that we can just be oblivious to the war that is raging over souls across the planet. Father, I pray that for each of us, that you would draw us to you, that we would this week experience the ways that you work in us, that we see how you are changing us. And Father, that you would use us to... To, to deliver this message to others, that they might be set free, that they might be liberated from the things that, that, that bog them down, that create anxiety within them, that, that bother them, that, that uh, cause anger within them, that trap them in their, in their desires or addictions. Father, that you would show us how to, to prepare ourselves for this battle that is ongoing.
that we might be your faithful servants in doing so. Father, as a church, that you might draw us together, that we might together be be quick to to see where the lies of the world might um, might penetrate, and that we might be be ready with truth to counteract it, that we might be ready to encourage one another toward love and good deeds, that we might be able to love one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens in all of these ways that we see darkness in retreat. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.